It's 6pm and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Wednesday, August 3rd. I'm Kelly Reese and this is your KVMR Evening News. After nearly seven decades captivating Dodgers fans, legendary Major League Baseball broadcaster Vin Scully died Tuesday. The California Report remembers MLB's poetic play-by-play announcer. Then we'll have your local news and weather, before KVMR's Felton Pruitt gives us the latest on upcoming events in Nevada City with this week's Chamber Report. We close with a commentary from Don Ravines on Nevada County's energy plan and how that plan stacks up against other California counties. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. And we start with some sad news. Legendary Los Angeles Dodgers broadcaster Vin Scully, the voice of the team for more than 60 years, died yesterday at the age of 94. Generations of Angelinos grew up listening to Scully call games on both radio and television. And it wasn't just his knowledge of the game that captured their attention. It was his soothing voice and storytelling ability that captivated fans not only in Southern California, but across the country. I spoke earlier with Los Angeles Times reporter Bill Shaken about Vin Scully's career and what he meant to the city of Los Angeles and the game of baseball. What should we know about Vin Scully, Bill? I think there's two things. The first line, if you will, of his obituary probably will read in the obituaries that you see today, the greatest broadcaster in baseball history. It is 100% true. The other thing that you may not read as much about, but you should know, is that behind the microphone, was one of the most genuine and gracious men that ever lived. And of course, down here near Hollywood, we all know about people whose fame and fortune, shall we say, goes to their head. That never happened with Vin. If you stumbled across him at Dodger Stadium, you were just as likely to find him talking to one of the workers in the cafeteria as you were talking to one of the players. And Bill, talk more about scully's relationship to the dodgers specifically vin came to los angeles with the dodgers in 1958 when they had moved from brooklyn and although certainly people in los angeles were familiar with baseball and minor league baseball had been played here for many years the major leagues were new and when the dodgers came they played in the la coliseum a football stadium while dodger stadium was getting built So whether you went to the game and sat almost miles away or you heard the game on the radio, Vin was how Los Angeles met baseball. He taught a generation about the game. And because he was popular and new in the era when a transistor radio was popular and new, there were generations of Dodger fans that became Dodger fans because they went with Vin wherever they went. You could hear the game at the ballpark. You could hear the game at the beach. You could hear the game in the grocery store. Everybody wanted to keep up with the Dodgers. And the way they did that was by listening to the radio in their hand on which Vin Scully was broadcasting. Do you have a favorite Vin Scully moment, either over the airwaves or in person? Just being around him every day was so glorious because when I first met him, 
I had what I imagine would be a feeling for a lot of people, which is, oh, my God, the great Vin Scully is talking to me. And having been around the Dodgers for so many years, you get to the point where I don't want to say just another guy because he will never be that. But it was like seeing a friend at the ballpark. And so for me, I didn't lose a famous broadcaster last night. I lost a friend. No one else like him, right? I mean, I can't think of another individual in Los Angeles that unites so many people and universal love, really. We were incredibly blessed in Los Angeles. There are a couple of generations of us that grew up with not only Vin Scully on the Dodgers, but Chick Hearn on the Lakers. And for a time, Dick Enberg on the Angels. Bob Miller for many years did the Kings. That's like Mount Rushmore right there. All right. That is Bill Shaken of the Los Angeles Times, helping us to remember the life and times of Vin Scully. Bill, thanks so much for joining us. All right. Thank you. Support for the California Report comes from the James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at irvine.org. Hint. Fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors, like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories. In stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org. It's an election year with control of Congress in play. In one of Orange County's most competitive congressional districts, the sitting Republican Congresswoman and her Democratic challenger don't agree on much, but they do see eye to eye on one thing, U.S. policy toward Taiwan, which is very much in the news this week. KQED politics correspondent Marisa Lagos reports. Republican Congresswoman Michelle Steele doesn't often find herself praising House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, but on Tuesday as she campaigned at a community event in Westminster, Steele had kind words for the Democratic Speaker who landed in Taiwan yesterday morning over Chinese objections. She kept her promises to go to visit Taiwan, so that's a good thing. In agreement with Steele, her Democratic challenger, Navy Reservist Jay Chen, who was campaigning in Garden Grove on Tuesday. He's running to Steele's left on pretty much every other issue, but as the son of Taiwanese immigrants with family still in Taiwan, he was also thrilled to see Pelosi visit the island nation, which China considers a territory. I'm just glad that um, our speaker did not back down um, from the, the threats and the bullying that was issued by China. It's really important that we stand strong with our ally, uh, Taiwan. It makes sense that both Chen and Steele would back Taiwan against communist China. Steele also has a personal connection. Her parents fled North Korea. But more broadly, communism has long loomed large over politics here. The 45th district is centered around Orange County's Little Saigon area and includes the largest Vietnamese population in the U.S. Steele notes many of those voters fled communism, too. Still, there is daylight between Chen and Steele when you drill down. Chen attacks Steele for voting against the recent CHIPS Act, which will invest billions of dollars into American-made technology and is aimed at giving the U.S. an edge over China. Orange County actually has one of the largest semiconductor industries uh, around. We would be building jobs right here. And unfortunately, you know, Michelle Steele voted against that. Steele responded by saying the bill was far too costly. She's pushing a piece of legislation that would let the U.S. provide more military equipment and other aid to Taiwan. For the California Report, I'm Marisa Lagos in Orange County. 
And that is the California Report for Wednesday, August 3rd. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day. Now let's take a look at today's regional news. A group of nurses at Sierra Nevada Memorial Hospital say they want to draw attention to what they call, quote, persistently unsafe conditions at the Grass Valley facility, claiming management has failed to hire more staff. To highlight their concerns, nurses this week have been handing out flyers throughout Grass Valley about, quote, the unsafe working conditions at the facility. They call on people to contact Chief Nursing Officer Lori Catterhagen and demand that the hospital provide proper staffing. The California Nurses Association, which this week issued a press release about the issue, represents 251 RNs at the Grass Valley Hospital. Catterhagen says she respects the California Nursing Association's right to raise concerns, adding that the community should be assured that no patient has been put at risk or harm because of staffing practices. Tony Hill, a nurse since 2003, says nurses have been trying to bargain with management for years over staffing. The pandemic only exacerbated the problems. Carrie St. Thomas, a telemetry unit RN, says that the problem's root is what she calls management's failure to keep a commitment and hire more RNs and ancillary staff. Quote, they also expect RNs to take on the workload of nurses' aides and at the same time attend to our patients' medical needs. We cannot do this in a safe manner, Thomas says. The California Nurses Association states that hospital management has reduced the number of nurses' aides, that RNs are working 13 to 16-hour days without rest breaks, that nurses are pressured to work overtime, and that management has refused to hire more staff. Quote, When management tells us they cannot afford to hire more staff, we say it is your responsibility to maintain quality standards at this hospital, and that means using the vast resources of Common Spirit Health to do so. Providing our patients with the care they need should be management's top priority. You cannot expect nurses who are exhausted, working overtime, and double duty as RNs and nurses' aides, without meal and rest breaks, to provide patients the quality care they deserve, says medical surgical RN Litza Henry. Sierra Nevada Memorial Hospital is part of Common Spirit Health, the largest Catholic health system and second largest nonprofit hospital chain in the U.S., This reported by the Union of Grass Valley. Starting today, you may have noticed construction crews working along State Route 49. Caltrans says this work is the start of a new wildfire fuel reduction project, specifically addressing overgrown vegetation in Nevada County between Limekiln Road and McKnight Way. Work will take place between 7 a.m. and 5 p.m., with most occurring along the shoulders with minimal traffic disruption. Turning our attention to local weather and your air quality index. For those in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight mostly clear with a low around 70. Thursday, sunny skies with a high near 94. Current air quality is good with an AQI of 0. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight a 20% chance of showers and thunderstorms before 8. Partly cloudy with a low around 53. Thursday, possible showers and thunderstorms after 11 a.m., the mostly sunny with a high near 82. Showers and thunderstorms may return Thursday evening. Current air quality is good with an AQI of 15. The National Weather Service has issued a flash flood watch in effect for the Truckee Tahoe region through Thursday evening.
There's concern that heavy rainfall could trigger flash flooding of low-lying areas and debris flows in recent burn scars and near steep terrains with poor drainage. And in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight mostly clear with the low around 68. Thursday, sunny and hot with a high near 99. Current air quality is good with an AQI of 25. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. We may have waved goodbye to Nevada City's summer nights, but stick around to hear what the town has on its calendar for August. KVMR's Felton Pruitt fills us in. We're talking with Stuart Baker. He's the executive director of the Nevada City Chamber of Commerce. What is going on in Nevada City, Stuart? Hey, Felton. Good to talk with you. Yes, we just came off a real successful run with summer nights. Uh, It was great to see folks out there. We had the uh, fire dancers and the air walkers, and uh, it was fantastic. Coming up, we're looking forward to this Friday having the first Friday's art walk, and uh, that should be a really nice time to go out and stroll once the sun goes down and things cool down a bit. Um, there'll be music and obviously art on uh, pretty much every corner in the downtown and in the merchants' businesses, and so. That's coming up on Friday, and then next weekend, of course, is the Nevada County Fair. So look for our uh, famous booth selling hamburgers and floats, and uh, we're all collectively excited to have the fair, you know, back in full swing again post-pandemic or post-whatever phase we are <laughs> in the pandemic. Right. And then looking out, yeah, further out, um, there's movies under the pines, and that's on August 12th and the 26th. Uh, on August 12th, we'll have the movie Almost Famous. And on the 26th is the opening night for the Nevada City Film Festival, which will be happening at the end of August. Is so that at Pioneer Park? That is at Pioneer Park, right. And uh, and then in September, of course, Constitution Day is happening on the weekend of the 18th of September. And uh, beyond that, uh, other things that we're focused on right now are taking a look at the Historic Neighborhoods District Initiative that is being considered, and uh, the Chamber will uh, take a position on that issue. We're very concerned about worker housing because we hear that from members having uh, enough workers that can actually afford to live in Nevada City is a big issue, and it's a hindrance in terms of hiring. Um, we're also looking at the sales tax measure for fire mitigation. It's a one-half cent um, increase that will be heard at the Board of Supervisors next Monday on August 8th. And so uh, we're looking to take a position on that as well, although we absolutely feel fire mitigation is probably one of the most pressing issues um, that are, is facing Nevada City right now. So. Those are what are on our agenda in the short term, and I um, think that's it. Any questions on any of that, Felton? Well, I'm sure that uh, you're also paying close attention to the courthouse situation, which uh, the latest we've heard is that they don't want to rebuild the courthouse in its present location, and so they're thinking of maybe moving it, and I'm sure that's a concern to the chamber. Absolutely, yes. We're working really closely with the city on that. It, it, like you said, it looks likely that the courthouse will be moving. The upside for that is that we have 
um, if things go as we're predicting, they will take about five years in order to make the transition. So first, the building has to be designed, and the permits need to happen, and then the building occurs, and then when all of that is done, then the, the current courthouse will be moved. So that gives us roughly five years to work on a plan for the reuse of the current facility, which we feel is is very crucial because it's in the heart of the downtown. We are um, very reluctant to see another situation like the HEW happen where an empty building sits there for decades, and we really can't afford that in the center of the downtown. So that will be the focus in the uh, next five years to find a suitable tenant or an, an other use for that site, basically. We'll see how that rolls out. Good luck with that. Right now, I guess the plan, the plan is to move the courthouse somewhere over near the maybe the root center or someplace else. Right. One uh, location that's been discussed is the site of the current Forest Service offices at Coyote and 49. So that would be one location. I think it does require some excavation because it's not quite large enough. But uh, yeah, I, I think there's no ideal sites left. But they are looking to have it be uh, relatively close to the downtown, so um, that's that's another positive as well. If they did that, they'd probably have to put either a pedestrian bridge over the freeway or otherwise put a light there. I would think realistically a light would be the most likely option, similar to what's at North Bloomfield right now and uh, crosswalk there. So that would be my guess, but again, that's all up to the the designers and architects for the for the new site. Well, it is five years down the road, so until then, we'll just enjoy our beautiful city. Absolutely. We've been talking with Stuart Baker. He's the executive director of the Nevada City Chamber of Commerce. Thanks, Stuart. Thank you, Felton. We close with a commentary by Don Ravines. How does Nevada County compare to other California counties when it comes to energy goals? Ravines tackles this question with his talk, Reaching Grass Valley, Nevada City, and Nevada County Energy Action Plan Goals. In October 2021, the International Panel on Climate Change stated that limiting global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius will require drastic action. The world would have to curb its carbon emissions by at least 49% of 2017 levels by 2030 and then achieve carbon neutrality by 2050 to meet the target. California Senate Bill 100, the 100% Clean Energy Act of 2018, sets a 2045 goal of powering all retail electricity sold in California and state agency electricity needs with renewable and zero carbon resources. Those such as solar and wind energy that do not emit climate altering greenhouse gases. It also updates the state's renewable portfolio standard to ensure that by 2030, at least 60% of California electricity is renewable. Though these goals refer only to electricity, 25% of total emissions in California are from the use of natural gas in homes and buildings. We must make headway on reducing these emissions to meet the state's overall aggressive climate goals, said California Public Utility Commission President Michael Picker. 
The Grass Valley Energy Action Plan sets goals to improve energy efficiency in buildings, facilities, and city operations, and to expand the utilization of renewable energy and resilience measures. It projected a decrease of annual grid-supplied electricity use in 2035 by 36% and an annual natural gas use by 29%. Nevada County and Nevada City have passed similar plans. Electricity from rooftop solar on existing homes is part of the goal for reducing the export of electricity to the grid. For new homes, the updated California solar mandates of 2020 require that all new residential homes meet Title 24 state requirements that require solar for electricity for newly built homes. It also requires all other buildings to set aside a solar zone for future solar panel installation and be ready for electric heating and water. Well, what about natural gas in homes? Natural gas is methane, CH4, 40 to 80 times deadlier than CO2 as a greenhouse gas. A large amount of methane methane leak into the atmosphere all along the production process, from the wellhead, through the transmission line and distribution lines, and from the stove, even when it is turned off. Over 20 years, the methane release would trap about 80 times as much heat as carbon dioxide. To reduce the natural gas usage part of the Energy Action Plan and to help California meet its goals, Grass Valley, Nevada County, and Nevada City can do what other cities and counties are doing. They are anticipating California requirements for all buildings to be all-electric by adopting municipal ordinances now. The ordinances state that fuel gas infrastructure shall be prohibited in newly constructed buildings existing fuel gas infrastructure shall not be extended to any system or device within a building. Inactive fuel gas infrastructure shall not be activated or otherwise operated. This also applies to building additions of over 50% of existing framing. The additional electric usage replacing natural gas again does not count against energy action plans when solar panels are used for the electricity. Are all electric homes more expensive? Rocky Mountain Institute recently stated that in every city they analyze, a new all-electric single-family home is less expensive than a new mixed-fuel home that relies on gas for cooking, space heating, and water heating. The conclusion is an ordinance requiring new homes and businesses to be all-electric would help meet our energy action goals and support current and future California's zero emission goals. A discussion of retrofitting homes to make them all electric will be in a future talk. You can go to www.ncclimateactionnow.org for more climate information. The views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the speaker only, and not necessarily those of KVMR, its staff, management, board, or contributors. That's our newscast for this Wednesday, August 3rd. Visit us online at kvmr.org for anything you may have missed in tonight's newscast. KVMR gets support from listeners like you and Four Paws Animal Clinic. Dr. Susan Murphy and Sue Lester and staff are proud to support KVMR, providing medical, dental, alternative, and surgical services for cherished companions on Searles Avenue in Nevada City. 
fourpawsac.com and the Onyx Theater, an independent art house theater on Argall Way in Nevada City, showing films daily, offering velvet theater seats, organic popcorn, local eats, beer and wine for patrons 21 and older. TheOnyxTheater.com. Coming up at 6.30, it's The Sages Among Us. Host Keith Porter interviews Marnie Marshall, lifelong arts lover, teacher, program director, former executive director of the Grass Valley Downtown Association, and now volunteer director for the hundreds of broadcasters and other volunteers for KVMR. At 7, we have Democracy Now! with host Amy Goodman. As always, thanks for tuning in. I'm Kelly Reese, signing off.